The Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Good morning. This is the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm talking to one of Australia's best-loved poets, Judith Rodriguez. Good morning, Judith. Good morning, Di. So you've just published a new book which is called The Feather Boys and Other Poems and it's published by Puncher and Watnam. Um, Congratulations on your new book. Thank you. It's the poems of 30 years, which makes me feel very lazy about publishing, but it's very nice to have it out there. It's, it's a wonderful anthology, and as you say, the work spans eight, uh, 30 years, so it's, it's quite um, a lot of work, and it covers many different interests and people and observations. It's, it's a very broad spectrum. Yes, well, it was an opportunity, really. What has really astonished me about it is how much of my Queensland childhood is in there. Yes, indeed. And just talking about your life, you were born in Queensland, weren't you? No, I was born in Perth. I'm a very peripheral poet. (laughs) And then um, at a very early age, you came to Adelaide, Queensland. That's right. Yes. Now, some of the first poems we're going to read are about the very famous Aboriginal poet and writer Ujuru Nunakal, also known as Kath Walker. Now, she wasn't the first Aboriginal person you ever met, was she? Uh, No. When I was very tiny, but old enough to remember, we crossed the Nullarbor from Perth to Adelaide by train, and at some stop for the tank to get water, a group of Aborigines came to the train to sell little items they'd made. And uh, my mother bought me a little boomerang. But I wasn't allowed to play with that boomerang until she'd boiled it and boiled it and boiled it. Mm. So it was uh, clean, yes, Uh, which was uh, rather a daunting sort of... I mean, I thought about this from very young. Yes, obviously it stayed with you, that, that not very welcoming point of view that mm. she'd had as a person of that time, which is probably 1938 or 39. That's right. Yes, yes. Well, not very inclusive. Oh, well, of her generation. Yes, indeed. Um, now, let's go to a poem. Um, now, the first one we're going to read is... Um, from the Other Side. Yes, From the Other Side. Kath, uh, Kath Walker was brought up on Stradbroke, an island in Morton Bay, And I was brought up in Clayfield in Brisbane, uh, so we weren't that far apart. And that's what I'm reflecting on in this. The poems I wrote about her were in response to a suggestion that I and other poets should write about dead poets. And I suddenly realised that I had known Kath, as she was then, at John Manifold's for music making, meetings that were very important to me, And then, by chance, I was at a Brisbane Writers' Festival when she died and her funeral was held and the University of Queensland Press invited me to be of their party that went to the funeral. 
So spanning her life like this and having met her sometimes in between, I felt I must write about it. From the other side, the dead do not stay dead. There's your dad teaching kids still in the voice of Ujuru for punishment, putting the kids on cut-and-dried mission rations. That's unsurprising news of the habits of white contempt from the other side. On both sides of the bay, kids were empire-bred, saluted and sang God save and marched into school. Foreigners, natives, suburban talk assured us they weren't much good, were placed on earth to be ruled by us, who knew nothing of you on the other side. But you, Ujuru, you refused to be nullified. You heard the put-downs, you saw what a sneer could do, you mourned what was going, you spoke of making new, you stood on your land with the law you lived as proof of title, you asked us across to sit side by side. And then I wrote one uh, for the funeral, uh, which was the body on a, a long bier of branches, eventually to be buried there. The dark clearing. Here is the shady clearing of honour and farewell. Here the new knuckle, neighbours and visitors off the ferry. Here the piling of branches, long home for her large life, hailed now a hero. Funeral games are on promise. The sorry pronouncements, the treaty, true amity, the intermingling. Here is the woman abased who spoke from a high place, found words against hate, who denying suspicion and separation harboured laws for living. Curlew, cousin, have you called the three nights warning? Yet this is no death. Flowers are scattered, words uttered, the body passes. Poet and teacher, her place murmurs of her in sea winds. The surf mounting the beaches down to the dire rip of jumping pin. The leaf-thick paths, the shadowy glade, the glancing lights of bark-shedding bush, of a smile of the girl named for paper bark, who saw beyond the going and the growing back to amity achieved, always the people meeting at the roundhouse, at the sitting-down place, Moon Galba. It's a wonderful tribute to her and it captures that feeling of collaboration and reconciliation and engagement that she had. Yes, indeed, though. In her middle years, she was very, very angry. But, you know, she had immense power of recovery and seeing further her creation of a place at Moon Galba to speak to tourists and school kids, that was genius. Yes. Yes, yes, lovely work. And um, and it, it's a part of a series that remembers John Manifold and um, he obviously had a, a very important role to play in Queensland in the 50s and so on. He was a maverick. He was from a, a West Victorian squatter family, but he became a communist, uh, was in Europe during the communist war in Spain, 
worked for British intelligence in the Second World War. And when he returned, instead of coming to Victoria, he went to Brisbane to a very rundown weatherboard house in Wynnum, which is a, a bayside suburb full of exactly the people he wanted to call together, workers and Aborigines. And he had meetings on Saturdays to play ballad music, which he saw as Australia's typical and traditional music. And he also wanted to invite the intelligentsia, which was how a few university students like me got hauled in. And we played in little bands. I was one of Rodney Hall's gang. I played violin and recorder. John was a great, I wouldn't say conductor, but he was a great assembler of people. Yes. And he was solidly committed to getting those people, the Indigenous workers, particularly realist writers, and anybody who was intelligent enough to go to his place, <laughs> not elsewhere on Saturday afternoon. And have a good time to as play well as... music. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yes. And it was there that Kath was playing a mandolin alongside Kate Manifold. And uh, yes, it was a very good time. Yes, yes. Anyway, uh, John has always excited my admiration because he's a very fine poet. Uh, as well as anything else, probably Australia's best writer of sonnets, and he certainly wrote Australia's best elegy to a serviceman to Lieutenant John Learmonth. In a time when poetry is perhaps not sufficiently uh, taught, uh, it's delightful to recall that fact. Now, there's another poet, um, another Aboriginal poet that you've written about, um, Lisa Belair. So tell me, who was Lisa Belair? Uh, she was an activist around Melbourne. And uh, uh, I think the daughter of a Croatian father and uh, an Aboriginal mother. Anyway, she she became a social worker. Uh, I know she worked at um, Melbourne University in that capacity. And she was a, an energetic person. You couldn't speak to her without being conscious of that energy. She is the only person who, in Indigenous style, has called me auntie. I felt good about that. Yes, I, I, I thought that in Melbourne I didn't know anybody more vocal and active in that cause. I really thought, what a great person. And then suddenly somebody announced she died in the night. Age 45. Why did this happen? Nobody explained. I mean, there are no explanations. Uh, it, it was very upsetting. Yes, it would have been a horrible mm. shock. So there's a poem called It's Not Right. Auntie Caller, kicker up of twisters, sweet urban bird. Day never drowned out your voice. How come you shifted tonight? Like town sparrows long after dusk. It's not right. Mickey Taker, strong shoulder. Living on dares, fire at the heart of change. How come you ran out of heat? Run off your feet in the straight. It's not right. Winning card, woman of words, welcomer. Making waves, wowing our legions. All of us rocked in your wake. And girl, how you sparked with the barrackers. How does mere flesh make apologies? Lisa, glad warrior, for taking the fight out of life. 
out of the light. It's not right. Yes, a, a tragic loss. And of course, our Indigenous community has a much shorter lifespan than the white community. I just, well, you know, individuals are individuals. Mm, There's mm. band. Now, you've written a number of wonderful poems about asylum seekers, um, and these you started writing these during the time of the Tampa. Now, there's one called Civex. Yes, well, I wrote these poems called Boat Voices from passages in the age. There were liberal quotations. You see a, pa- a phrase, you must write about it. A survivor of the wreck of the X in which hundreds of people drowned. A survivor said, everywhere children were drowning. Those still alive saw bodies all around them. They littered the water. Wherever you looked, said one survivor, you see dead children like birds floating on the water. So I wrote, like birds floating on the water, the drowned children wash up on the mine's beach. Everywhere children were drowning, and the politicians finding a prayer for the new morality. Save us from the dead children and their silent landfall. The sea gives up its innocence. Buried or not buried, uncomforted, unnamed, they drift on inland. Secure in our sunlight, we survivors endure the dead children like birds floating as spaces among us. These, the new Australians, will never draw up to our table, will never walk tall in our cities. They have no memorial but the love that could not hold them and the care that was their due. Each night floods our shores with their sodden wings. It's um, a beautiful poem and an important reflection on our abysmal relationship with those who come across the shore of seas by boat. Yes, without documentation. <laughs> it's such a an endless uh, abomination, our treatment of asylum seekers. I don't know why Australia does not want desperate people who are brave enough to put their feet on a bad boat to cross the Indian Ocean. They're the bravest of the brave, the most desperate of the desperate. And the news is that such migrants make good and are very good for Australia when they get here. Well, they are. They're great for Australia. And mm. and the fact that we still have people on Manus Island and Nauru is just beyond explanation. Yes. And we'll just listen to a little bit of the CD One Truth by Omar Farouk Tekbilek. You 
listening to the 3CR Spoken Word program. Um, this is Di Cousins and I'm talking to Judith Rodriguez today about her new book, The Feather Boy and Other Poems. Now, one of the, um, one of the surprising features of your new book is your translations or are your translations from the Spanish of a couple of different um, Colombian poets. Tell me about the moveless sea of the Llanos. Well, when I married my first husband, Fabio Rodriguez, who's still a very close friend, this was the opportunity to move into a new imaginative realm. Colombia has some splendid poets and novelists, and I was very excited reading a lot of Latin American poetry, so I did some translations, and I put a range of them here from the serious and scenic to the comic. And the first one is by Oscar Echeverri Mejia, and it's about the Llanos, the great plains in the south of the country, which are very sparsely occupied. And at their very south, of course, is the Amazon River. So he wrote this poem called The Moveless Sea of the Llanos. You don't have to tell me it's the sea. That I knew from the herons dreaming of their sails. From the palm grove islands lifting their tall masts, I sensed it from the horizon holding the sky up on arms of mist, from the sun sinking to die in the arms of the anguished sea of grass, and the sun rising reborn like a great sea beacon. You don't have to tell me it's the sea. I felt it in the hot waves of pasture that invade the beaches like a crazed great vegetable tongue in the wind's murmur tasting of salt, in the little streams that creep through the plain and pour out their waters in the sea gulf of the Meta, in the strange siren songs, ship sirens and sirens of flesh and bone you hear there in the night, in the shipwreck of things living and not living every sunset. I know it now, it is sea, I asked for no proofs, Seeing how the Meta drowns in its huge waves, how the plainsman steers among its endless currents and stays afloat, how the young bull, miraculous amphibian, nibbles stars in its crystalline glass, how the horse runs on through its ecstatic waves of green with his mane like a ship's rigging. Yes, it is sea, a sea not named on maps, alive with creatures made in its image and likeness the sea where men and animals sink and where the sun and moon are born, each in its own way. I know beyond all doubt it is sea, and I too am inside its spell, like the rider, like the young bull, like heron and parrot, like palm and snake and monkey, like the water coursing its grassy entrails. This is the sea, and now I can never forget its lessons of sun and solitude. Its daily toil, destroying and creating. Its mighty surges of heat, of death and life. Its green storms, its calm times and its vegetable dreaming. The calls, symphonies even, of its animals. Sea of the Great Plain, I am coming back to you because my fate as a sailor of the earth tells me that here I shall keep some day my tryst with water. 
It's a wonderful imaginative poem. It has such a vast scope. It sort of encompasses the whole world in, it, in its literary imagery. Yes. Well, it's about an area of the country that engages the imagination even while not everybody goes down there. It's an immensity stretching away. It's, I suppose, like our deserts, about which some Australian poets have written marvellously. But so creative, so much life, so much rejoicing in it. And I wonder if there's an archaeological background to calling it a sea. But, you know, I don't care. It's the pulling together of these two immensities yes. that makes it a wonderful poem. Um, now, um, you've got a few, you've got quite a lot of elegies in this book. And um, there's a couple about your mum and dad. Um, I'm wondering if you might like to read oh, yes. one or two of those. Well, you know, people keep dying. <laughs> well, they, and they lived, so yes, that's the main thing. Well, I feel one can talk to them, does talk to them. Mm. Well, they when they appear in dreams, they do appear very real. Yes. Well, I did one about a dream to my mother, but I'd like to read one called Safe mm -hmm. before it. Safe. My mother is crouching at the back of her mind. She has not many ideas to go on. Her interests have faded. Her sisters are gone. It is long since she securely recognised the daily carers, daughter and granddaughter. She rouses to rummage the cupboards, all hers, for anything to do. Snatches a cleaning rag, sticky tape, cards she can't read. Asked, she says she wants scissors. Asked why, she does not stay to answer. Wakeful, she has left her walking frame. Tape tangles her fingers. It is 4.30 in the night and nothing, nothing in her indomitable body or her own warm home will be allowed to kill her. And then the poem I wrote that printed after that is called The Dream. I watched above the bed in which I lay and on a bed sheeted, my mother, dead ten months now, stirred. But she is gone, I said, and saying it returned still mired in care to where my mother stilled with barely a word left from the hundred years she sealed away. Oh, strange arrival, seeing death reversed, the sheet tensing with movement, the unspoken demand we resumed together, she being wakened. A wondering horror held me, and her hair as never in life, was mine. And I lay there, creature of her imagining, as at first. Very spooky. Yes. Very, very spooky. Yes. In some moments it sounds like a poem of revulsion, but it wasn't. And um, so that was very strange. It was like an identification happening to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. It, well, the strangest things can happen in dreams. Yeah. Yes. Now, you've got another one about your father. Oh, yes. Well, I live inside my father's feet, hands, eyes, and allergies. My nose drips, and I remember Dad, obstinately mowing and weeding in an age innocent of Zyrtec. I knew my father young, in his 30s. No other child or grandchild was thrown up and caught, passed snaky round his torso and over his shoulder, who else was skipped the whole city block fast with tremendous strides, fearful exhilaration? I was diddles and later girly, 
Barry was blue. The nicknaming goes on incurable genetic. When Dad learned cabinet making, a demobilisation choice, I stood at the bench and thrilled, holding hardware, I was told, at the mighty planing of planks, the tightness of mortise and tenon. I turned the grindstone, sparks flew from the chisel, the smell of good wood, maple, with me till I inherited the desk, its drawers still running like silk, his original French polish dishonoured with estopol to match dark-stained deal. Now back to its honeyed grain. Dad, you couldn't know I would have the wrecked drawers of the school desk you made me remade. Cleaned, squared, repainted for second life. And the silver presentation pieces picked over, packed off to grandchildren, some of whom won't care. Candlesticks, trays, the water jug, sideboard flower bowl, the Davis cup. But I have the desk elephant, the pen stand, the useless plaque, the tiny trophy cup, curios of my childhood. Dad, your career. At 99, frail, frustrated, me off teaching in India, you told my kids how clever I'd been and natural. Like Granny, your school results framed and hung. Dad, I weep at your pride. How dear a tale. But me away, you died. Died understood. I took all you gave. The faith in family, the English cousins, brothers you hardly saw in the staggered boarding at school. Your regret, a late pious guilt. You'd said their doors would be open. They were. Farmers, technicians, in banks. A rugby selector, one poet. Back to the man you trained for, showing Mr Hare's draft horses, colossal shires, manes plattered. Rumours of why you left. Hare's tennis-playing daughter, dead now. Cannot explain or demur. Your mother, garnering your visits, kept the dicky door handle as you left it, half repaired, waiting. Fifty years. The weekly letters, her assurance, your atonement. Things forgotten, half-known, treasured. Their life, my hands, your gift. Exquisite. It's a, a very beautiful elegy. So this has been the 3CR Spoken Word Programme. Uh, my name is Di Cousins and I've been talking to Judith Rodriguez about her new book, The Feather Boy and Other Poems, published by Puncher and Watnam. Um, Judith, that's all we've got time for, but thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. A pleasure. And I hope um, that the book gets out there because it's a wonderful book with um, such a vast collection of themes and and styles and voices. And I might say which the back of title page doesn't tell you, that the cover design, while it's somebody else's, uh, the cover lino, lino cut is mine. Yes, well <laughs> done. Well done. Yeah, it's beautiful work. Okay, um, well, thank you for coming in. Uh, this is a little bit of music from the CD One Truth by Omar Farouk Tekbalik. Thank you. 
Thank you.